Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bedside Matters. This is the podcast that, of course, addresses the medical issues that impact every single one of us every single day. And hopefully what we're going to try and do here is give you the answers you're looking for so you're more informed, you're healthier, which means you're happier. I'm Peter Tilden, joined by Dr. Kipper and Anna Vocino. How are you guys doing today? Great. Great. Very well. Thank you. How are you? you? I'm doing okay. Thank you for asking me. I never ask you how you are. I know. I noticed that about you. Mm-hmm. It's just you, though. I asked how I get it. I get it. David, you know how why? are you today? <laughs> I'm good. You know, I, I asked Peter, but I don't listen to his answer. That's mm, very that's good. Compassion. Guess what we're talking about today? Dementia and hearing aids. Mm. And we're going to be discussing the link between breast cancer and depression. And in This Just Happened, guess what? New COVID symptom. That's just what we're just what we're oh, waiting God, for is really? one okay. more symptom. And also I want to find out the latest subvariant. Now there's variants, there's subvariants. Is it is it more infectious? Should we worry? Because we need one more thing to worry about. And then we've got a caller who has a very interesting question about something we talked about last week, UTIs, um, and also prostate. There's something something that may work to help UTIs that's natural. So we'll get into that. Okay, so let's get started with this first story. I'm very curious about this, Dr. Kipper. Um, Hearing aids and dementia, they're saying that hearing aids could actually reduce your risk. Is that possible? How how can that be? It's actually proven. But the, the problem is there are a lot of people out there that don't hear well. And if you're 65 and above, your odds go way up of having hearing loss. From 65 to 74 years of age, 30% of those people don't hear well. And over 75 years, 50% of people don't hear well. So there's tremendous uh, amount of hearing loss. And there's a strong association of hearing loss with uh, cognitive decline and dementia. Hearing, interestingly, is one of those impactable and modifiable risk factors that we can actually make a difference on. So hearing aids become very important in this conversation and in people's ability to maintain their cognitive capacities. A lot of things cause hearing loss. Aging is one. Genetics, we've actually identified some genes now that are responsible. There are medical conditions that can cause this. So if you have high blood pressure and taking certain medications, that can actually create hearing loss. Loud noises, we've always known, can cause your hearing to be impaired. That can be music, motorcycles, guns. And also, interestingly enough, because we're all wearing one, earbuds and headphones at high volumes can actually uh, diminish your hearing capacity. So why is it that hearing loss can cause dementia? There are a couple uh, reasons for this. And there are several well-done studies that have shown that People that have a hearing disorder and wear hearing aids actually have less hearing loss than people that have a hearing disorder and don't wear hearing aids. So simply spoken, to answer your initial question, Anna, hearing aids do help. What happens with hearing loss is that the speech and the sound are garbled by the time they get into the brain. And the brain is therefore working a little harder to decipher and process those sounds. The brain is calorie driven as far as its energy expenditure. So it does not want to spend that much more energy trying to disentangle the speech and the sounds. So 
it has to do that to some degree, but that takes away some of its energy in processing other things like memory and executive functioning. And those parts of the brain that process hearing loss then atrophy a little bit. And that's in the temporal lobe, by the way, in the brain. That's where we process our hearing. There are solutions that are in development. There's two that I think are interesting, but the best advice is to get a hearing aid. And their hearing aids now are so advanced and so small and unrecognizable when you're wearing them. But it's a tremendous problem because people will come into the office and it's usually, usually someone's wife will say, well, he doesn't hear. And then he'll say, I hear, I just don't listen. And that's (laughs) that's typical of what happens, happens in my own house, actually. And there's a reluctance, obviously, for people to wear hearing aids because of it's embarrassing, it shows that you're getting older. And the hearing aids themselves, especially the earlier models, are pretty noticeable and identifiable as I got got to tell you and David knows this because he was there for the surgery my wife's hearing diminished like her mother's and like her grandfather's and we've talked about this before and it got to the point it really impacts relationship it she would go out to dinner if a couple people were talking she would shut down and we didn't know you they wouldn't know it they think boy she's so nice she's just a good listener whatever she couldn't follow what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then if you're in a crowd, like a stadium, and you got a cheap hearing aid, it embellishes the sound of the stadium along with the voice next to you. So you have this overwhelming stuff. Now, Then she got hearing aids that you could drown out the background. You could adjust. Uh, all computerized. You know, they you experience it for a while, and then the person you're working with who is, you know, customizing your hearing aid looks at your program and adjusts the highs, the lows, et cetera. In my wife's case, however, the hearing aids eventually didn't work. So she had to get a cochlear implant, which was a major deal. And David was there that day. Um, and it it saves her because when she takes that cochlear implant out now, she really, there's no almost no hearing. But the cochlear implant was amazing. The problem with that is she couldn't find online enough enough information about it because when they put that into your skull, it does all this learning. So it's AI. So it has to learn stuff and it's beeping and doing noises and it's so disconcerting for the longest time. But I could see it that if you have a hearing loss and you don't bring it up, the isolation and the the shutting down and the not using your brain to hear and process, I could see where eventually you're just in your head by yourself. You're alone. You're alone with people and totally isolated and it could be really depressing. So, um, And it's a relationship thing too where spouses even though you know that there's a hearing problem, sometimes you do get annoyed. And sometimes she gets annoyed. So, and the greatest thing is she also, I love my favorite is when she misinterprets what I said. And we get into an argument about something. And then later on I go, that's what, I didn't say that. <laughs> and she'll go, oh, well then, uh, sorry, never mind, never mind. So, <laughs> uh, but it is hard. It's a challenge. It's an additional challenge. And you don't realize how important that is. One of my closest friends is uh, deaf in one ear, and he does not have a cochlear implant or a hearing aid. But we've learned now over the years that when he says the following phrase, which is so ironic, he goes, no, I hear you. <laughs> and that means that he didn't hear anything that was said, oh, but he's oh. just trying to like, oh, no, right, I hear you. Right, we've right. learned like you didn't hear what we said. And like he's learned to obviously sit on the right. But it was just so funny. We're like, what What an interesting phrase you've adopted to say yeah i heard what you said because it's just done it's just done leave me alone yeah Yeah. it's exhausting it really is exhausting david do most people fess up and and tell you that they have hearing problems 
or does it come from the other spouse? No, it, it rarely comes from the, the patient. It usually comes from someone that's close to the patient. And Peter, your point is accurate. That social isolation not only reduces issues in the brain, but it also creates other problems. It, it makes people depressed. It makes people not want to go to certain events right. and be around certain people. And the cochlear implants now are becoming very common, but that's not a simple procedure as no. Peter just described. What the cochlea does, if you think back to high school biology, remember there are three parts to the ear and in the inner ear, that's, there's that thing that looks like a snail. That's the cochlea. And the cochlea takes sound that comes into the ear and it converts the sound into electrical impulses and it sends it into that part of the brain, which we just mentioned is the temporal lobe, that then allows you to hear. What's interesting is that the hearing actually takes place on the opposite side of the brain. So something coming into your right ear is heard in the left temporal lobe and oh, vice versa. And sight does exactly the same thing. So if you have an image coming into your right eye, those nerves, the optic nerves crisscross in the middle of the brain. And what you're seeing in the right eye is really processed uh, into the left cerebellum and vice wow. versa. So, but there are a couple other solutions besides the hearing aids. Johns Hopkins created an app for your smartphone that will actually walk you through a hearing test. So you can get a hearing test very easily. And they literally, they cool. handhold you through this and it will come out with what your diagnosis is. And then from that, they want you to go to John Hopkins, but you can go anywhere but that's sort of an interesting nuance now to our electronics. There's something out called FX322, and that's in development. It's uh, reaching its later clinical trial, so it will be available at some point. And what it does is that it goes after a molecule in the, in the brain called GSK3, which is associated with many diseases, neurodegenerative diseases, diabetes, uh, obesity, some psychiatric illnesses. And what it does is that it creates inflammation in the, in the brain. And they figured out how to block the GSK3 molecule. So there's, there's a blocker, a receptor oh, blocker cool. for that. And then they, they add in, they sprinkle in a little bit of Depakote. Depakote is a medicine that we have used for seizures. We use it for psychiatric disorders, bipolar diseases. They take this combination and they, with a high frequency device, they blow it into the cochlea, literally, and it enhances the speech recognition and it's very effective in, in people with stable hearing loss. It's been shown wow. to work. So that's now coming into play. They also use stem cells. We're taking stem cells and we're putting those into the cochlea. And the problem with stem cells and the cochlea is that in the cochlea, you have a little family of, that are policing your immune system. There are these immune cells that keep anything foreign out of the cochlea. So they have to modify the stem cells. First of all, they have to make them into cochlear cells, and then they have to modify them beyond that so that the immunology of those cells is not going to inhibit their, their action. So there are things. So it's in like a precursor that changes into something else. It tricks it so it can get yes. in, and and then changes, transforms once it's in. Wow. Exactly. So don't be shy. Is the answer here? If you're having trouble with your hearing, it's only going to get worse. So as soon as may it, I, before we move to the next topic, which we will do in a second, can I tell you my favorite joke? My favorite old joke. I know this joke. 
Two old men are walking. Tell me two, again. Two, two old men are walking on the street, and the one says, I just got a hearing aid. You can't buy it. It's the best, most sensitive hearing aid. I can hear a jet and tell you what model it is. I can hear like a, a, a bush rustle, and I can tell you what kind of bush it is. I can hear a cough and tell you what the illness is. I mean, it's so, so sensitive. And his friend says, what kind is it? And he says, five after four. So moving on. <laughs> okay, so moving on, you know, they're talking about depression rates and cancer, which I, I think it's very, I would imagine it would be very normal for people to be very depressed from a cancer diagnosis. And then even after they recover, how, how does depression affect cancer recovery? How are people able to kind of keep their mindset positive? Because, I mean, I would worry about recurring. Is it called recurrence? What is it called when cancer comes back? Recurrence? Yes. How are um, people able to keep the depression at bay when they're dealing with cancer diagnoses? And I mean, I'm going through this with a family member, and it has been a very interesting thing with mindset, with anxiety, with depression. Oh, man, I can only imagine. You know. Yeah. The answer won't surprise you, Anna, but the the discussion of what we know will actually be a little bit depressing on its own. We know that untreated depression was, is associated with decreased survival in breast cancer and other cancers, but particularly studied in breast cancer. Uh, they took breast cancer and they divided it into four categories relating to depression. One category, no depression. Second category was depression before a diagnosis of breast cancer was made. And the Third, and, and by the way, those people have a 26% higher risk of death. People that were depressed after the diagnosis of breast cancer, they had a 50% higher risk <gasps> for death. Wow. And it's extremely common and needs to be addressed. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. The solutions for this are what you would expect. The solutions are to recognize the association with depression and to have it treated. And the treatments are serotonin medicines. They are the ones that raise your mood and anxiolytics, which calm the anxiety. Uh, and anxiety goes along with the depression, by the way. The statistics are exactly the same for anxiety. They sort of ride together. And then there are support groups and there are obviously the healthy lifestyle behaviors that we need to do to mitigate our, our mood disorders. But the stats are very impressive. One in four people with cancer will have depression. And there are obvious reasons for that. And one is, of course, it's the bleak prognosis and the uncertainty of what the treatments will bring and all the negative effects uh, of the cancer for, being, for your work, for your family, how you look, your independence, your finances. And it turns out that the physiologic relationship between breast cancer and depression is interesting. We've all heard of these cytokines thanks to COVID. And these cytokines are proteins from the immune system that are inflammatory. And there are a couple in particular. There's a tumor necrosis factor, and then there's an IL-1. These are very specific cytokines. Uh, and they, on their own, lower levels of tryptophan, which is a precursor for serotonin, and they lower serotonin levels. And when serotonin levels drop, moods are different. You become depressed. So there's actually that connection. Um, also, cancer 
the diagnosis, hearing the diagnosis activates that fight or flight response. And that creates these stress hormones. And these stress hormones wake up these dormant cancer cells. And they also nurture the local environment to these cancer cells, which helps them grow. So it's, it's, there is, there is a reason that this happens above the obvious, which is, God, I have cancer. Uh, I should be depressed. So but David, if, isn't it how you tell, I mean, you, you've been doing this a long time, how you tell a patient, how you give a patient news and what's, well, how that's wrapped around the message um, and knowing, tailoring it to that patient and anticipating how, especially if you know them and treated them for years, how they're going to react to it um, or the support group. I mean, you always say that you need an advocate with you because people, when they get bad news, don't necessarily hear it the way it was meant to be said. And then there's a person there who can ask questions, whatever that the person getting the news maybe isn't capable of asking. So I always think about, I know you, I know how sensitive you are and I know you tailor it uh, to the person, but you got to, I'm guessing, give them hope right off the bat and give them, give them news in the way, like you said, that's tailored to them being able to handle it. That's exactly right, Peter. You have to offer a dose of hope. And in most cases, a dose of hope is realistic. You know, you can't lie to people. And your point about having somebody in the room, you have to have somebody in the room if you're going to give this information to somebody. And that call in itself, it's, you know, Mr. Smith, you need to come in to talk about your tests mm. with Dr. Kipper. And Dr. Kipper would like you to bring someone with you. And mm. right away, they know what's going right. on. But mm-hmm. You do have to bring up this issue about mood and discuss this openly about all these different ways it's going to affect their lives. And you also, in that conversation, you have to let them know there's a certain rhythm to this. And in the very beginning, people get caught up with now, once they've accepted this diagnosis, now they're going to go and get a treatment plan and they get the treatment plan and they feel better and they have the first couple of treatments and now they're fighting back and there's their, their mood goes up. At the same time, they're getting a lot of attention from their friends and family that are supportive. And now they're into the third, fourth month of their treatment and all that support sort of wanes uh-huh. and they're faced with the consequences, side effects of the therapies that they're getting. So there's a rhythm to how these moods uh, come into play. That makes sense. In someone that's going through a major surgery, and this is particularly true in heart surgery, it's you can time this. It's almost three months from the time of the procedure that they're going to become depressed. And it's very much for the same reasons. Someone says, you need Oprah open heart surgery and this is what you're going to do and the person has the surgery and they're in the beginning they're just fighting to stay alive and everyone's encouraging them and pretty soon a few months go by and there they are with a big scar down the middle of their chest they're not walking as well they're not as active and engaged as they had been and they're depressed so it's important i think to start people on antidepressants from the very beginning particularly because serotonin antidepressants take six to eight weeks before they kick in. So they're not going to even get the effect of those antidepressants for a few months. Got it. And David, you know, with the Robin Williams depression, I talk to people about depression. That's not the kind of depression that you have. That's not the depression that most people have. Mm -hmm. It's a whole different 
level of depression, like the depression you get after heart surgery or brain surgery. It's this deep, deep depression that you that you're spiraling. Um, and most people think, well, why not? Well, we can do them, cheer them up, and get therapy. It's a whole different thing, right, David? It's it's a, it's something most people can't understand if they haven't experienced it. Peter, it's such a good point. It is unique onto itself where that depression comes from. In the case of someone like Robin Williams, uh, it was well known that he had other underlying mental health issues. And so those get aggravated. And if you think about it, again, even though I cited a statistic about people going into a cancer diagnosis yeah. that have been diagnosed with depression, there are a lot of people that never get diagnosed yeah. that are depressed. And this is another conversation about our mental health um, resources that are so lacking. And it's nothing to be ashamed of because these are built-in, hardwired genetic issues when people have a, an underlying, what we call endogenous depression. That's a depression that you have from birth. And there's treatment for these things now, which is unbelievably uh, successful. For those of you that are faced with this issue of depression, and for whatever reason, whether it's because you have a cancer diagnosis or other reasons, there are two options available for you. One is a phone number, 988, which connects you to a mental health service where you can discuss your issues. And there's also the 1-800-662-HELP phone number. Uh, that would be 1-800-662-4357. That also connects you for mental health and substance abuse issues. So these are definitive things that you can do on your own. So, all right, it's time for This Just Happened. Anna, what do we have in today's This Just Happened? COVID, COVID, COVID. <laughs> we need an update. We should have a we should have a COVID like a horn like or a stinger. Sounder? Yeah. COVID. Okay. COVID. Like what's going on? We've got new variants. We've got new symptoms. <laughs> Brand new symptom to look for. So adding to our theme of uh, having very depressive things to talk about today, there there is a new variant on the scene. Uh, mm. It's everywhere now. It's the XBB one. Point one six. It's <laughs> actually been given a name, which makes no sense. It's called Arcturus. Why don't they give them names like hurricanes? Like this is Lewis. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> this is Paul. <laughs> well, I think we should have a contest on this show to just name, name them. the next one. Give them names. I just I don't think these badass names like Omicron and Arcturus are like doing anybody any favors. No. Like, why are we naming them after cool characters exactly. from hey, video dude, games you, or Greek I, it, gods or whatever? It looks like you got Hal. They started out. You got you have Ira. <laughs> we started out naming these after you know Greek symbols, and then we right. ran out of those because now there were more variants. Point nine oh four oh, please right. come on. And just to be clear, and even more depressing, the newer variant has just come up, which is a one point nine one and a one point nine two, and this one is literally right around the corner. It hasn't been named yet, so anyone that Ted. has a Bill thought, and Ted for those two. Yeah, Bill and Ted. Go. Bill and Ted. So. This one, the Arctura, started in India in January. It's taking over statistically as the common variant. Uh, again, it's another mutation of the spike protein. And the doubling time is very high. These new variants have figured out how to beat the immune issues that we've thrown at them. So they are, they are more contagious. 
But we also think that they are less deadly. And this one appears to be that. The question is, because they are fighting against our immune system and what we've thrown at them, we always ask this question, are these variants going to be susceptible to the vaccines and the boosters? And we don't know for sure. We do think that our tourists will be mitigated to some degree by what we've done. And I have seen clinically in all these new variants is that people are not dying like they were. And people that have been unvaccinated are getting the sickest. People that have had vaccines and boosters are getting a little bit. And we have the antivirals that are out there now. What's interesting about Arcturus is that it has two symptoms that we are not seeing routinely with these other variants. And this is what I think people should be aware of. One is fever. We're seeing more fever in this one than we've seen in the others. But more importantly, we're seeing conjunctivitis. So pink eye. We have pink eye. It's my no. junior high school yearbook picture. Me and dark glasses. Every thought I was trying to be cool. No, I got pink eye and then rubbed the other eye. <laughs> rubbed the other eye. So, so it was inflamed. Eyes. Oh, my God. Pink eyes. It Wait, was horrible. so pink eye from you have COVID in your eye or is it a secondary infection? The virus itself Yes, it's the virus. The virus itself uh, lands there. And this is part of the problem in that to stay away from this virus, you stay away from someone with pink eye, regular pink eye, which is a viral illness. And you can get pink eye from a bacteria, you can get pink eye from allergies. But from a virus, if you are rubbing your eye, you're putting that virus on your hands. And then that goes somewhere else and your hands touch something. So it's important if someone has pink eye to to look like Peter in his high school yearbook, uh, they should wear protective eyewear and they should stay away from people. But wow. And and don't share VR headsets or go to those movies where they have you wear the 3D glasses because that you can get pink eye from those. The more you know. Yes, you can. (laughs) She's so proud of herself. Well, David, what's the cure for pink eye? Well, there are drops. There are antibiotic drops that are helpful, and there are ointments. Uh, warm compressing for five minutes, three times so, a day. Okay, so helpful. let me ask you a question about this. If anybody's listened to this these episodes since the beginning, David always says, it's not a cold, it's COVID. Because everybody says, no, it's not COVID. Yeah, yeah it's COVID. And the test, because there's so many unregulated tests, they don't tell. So now if you have somebody with pink eye, it's COVID. It's not, it's never pink eye anymore. It's just plain old pink eye. Well, if you see it now, you have to consider that as a possibility. By the way, it's more common. The pink eye is more common in younger people, uh, children, infants. And we are seeing this in older people. But it's something to think about if you see somebody with pink eye. All right. So let, yeah, don't go near them. It's a good thing. Don't go near them either way, COVID or non-COVID pink eye. Just (laughs) Just don't don't touch them and don't scratch. So in our, hey, what about me call today, uh, Andy has a question. Hello, Dr. Kipper. What's the best treatment for a urinary tract infection? Andy, this is an excellent question and it comes up a lot. And there's an interesting reason why this works. And it does work. It works for people that have had chronic and recurring urinary tract infections. It's not a treatment for a first-time infection, but for people that get recurring infections, this does have great value. And we're at a point now where we have the E. coli bacteria that has uh, itself mutated, and we have several strains of that. Uh, so there, that's a problem. They're also resistant, many of them, to antibiotics because we've overprescribed them. And as we discussed, I believe in our last episode, was the incidence eight to ten percent 
of these E. coli live on meats and poultry. So we're not only getting them from our own natural uh, resources, but we're also getting them from the agriculture. So what's interesting, too, about bladder infections, they're not benign. Uh, bladder infections can be deadly. Sepsis, people, older people, immunocompromised people can die from these. We mentioned the antibiotic resistance. Women are a lot more likely to get a bladder infection, and that has to do with sexual activity. Men get bladder infections because their prostates get enlarged, and when they get enlarged, they obstruct the outflow of the urine from the bladder, so the bladder sits there longer and becomes secondarily infected. But now we have this ally in the fight against urinary tract infections, which are the cranberries. And it turns out cranberries have something very interesting in them that makes them do this. They have what are called PACs, and these are proanthrocyanidins. That's a tongue twister. And what they do is they actually prevent the E. coli from sticking to the wall of the bladder. So the cranberry juice or supplements that we take actually have a defensive position for these E. coli. Get off me, E. coli. I'm taking PACs. So the supplements are better than the cranberry juice though, right? Well, the supplements are better, yes, Peter, because there's a lot of sugar in the juice. Oh. And I was going to say, if you drink all that juice, then you got to worry about your blood sugar and then there's a lot going on. But there have been very definitive, well-done studies that have shown that cranberry juice or cranberry supplements can reduce the incidence of these recurrent infections by 25%. But do you have to take it? Number. It's just like minoxidil. You have to take it in the minute you stop. You got to do cranberry the rest of your life every day. <laughs> You're on. Well, he's on cranberry. So, <laughs> well, if you are somebody in that demographic that's vulnerable, you should do a, it. A, a sexually active woman or a man that's aging with a big prostate, I would recommend that. Wow. And how much do you take? That's again, arbitrary, especially with with all of it, with the supplements and with the liquid. Look at the label on the supplement bottle. And see what's suggested. Got it. That's amazing. So, the, And the only cranberry is this for UTI? It's the only fruit or vegetable or anything that will affect this? Well, this one's been around for 100 years. People have been using this. I would like to speak directly to our audience for a moment. And that is to say, if anybody out there listening has a question for Dr. Kipper, go to bedsidematters.org and send us your question. He might just answer yours. So let's do a recap, David, as far as hearing aids and depression. Get a hearing aid. It really, really can make a difference yes. in your life. And, and if somebody's your, suffering, get, yeah. get your hearing evaluated on a regular basis. The John Hopkins test and then that four, what is 4X322? Is that what we said? It's the FX322. FX322. There you go. New study found that there is definitely a link between depression and breast cancer survival. What I would recommend is that you speak to your doctor immediately in this conversation about getting this diagnosis about what your treatment options are for depression and that you want to engage in that as part of your overall attack on this illness. And the question that we got about cranberry supplements is, is amazing, that cranberry supplements could be very strong, right, David, with uh, UTIs? And they're good for men and women, so for different reasons, but yes, consider that. But also, too, you told us about the uh, new COVID symptom to look out for. Yes, watch out for someone with conjunctivitis, run away. Conjunctivitis, it's not just for itchy eyes anymore. Now it could be COVID. I want to thank everybody, thank you all for participating, and thank you for listening. Anna, Dr. Kipper, Producer Lori, and if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, 
Follow us at bedsidematters.org if you have a medical question you need answered. As Anna said, go to bedsidematters.org and send it to us, and we'll see you next episode. The information on Bedside Matters should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on Bedside Matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.